0: Blog Talk Radio. If there be. Love.
1: Good morning, and welcome to our internet program. I'm your host, Mr. Joel and You're listening to Free on the Inside. We are continuing to honor Black History Month. For Black History is our history. We pray to you enjoy that song. Let lift every voice. You know, it is such a time as this. We got to continue to do what what seen what's right. We got to continue to go forth and and uh, and claim our rights and, and and work on our destiny now. We need to encourage our young people that they can be successful. We need to encourage our elderly people that they've done a great job. But yeah, we have a lot to be uh, uh, to have to do with that. Also, we got to continue to struggle. I love the lyrics of this song. It said, let, let us march on to victory for the victory is won. You know, we are victorious. You know, if you've been following this program for the last uh, few weeks, we've been giving some uh, documentary history on Black culture, we we'll talked about black uh, doctors and scientists, you know we're in the, pit, in the midst of a pandemic is a great opportunity to talk about our black doctors and our scientists, we talked about entrepreneurs inventors, the people that, that set forth and invented things the way we could live, we know about John Washington Carver and the Peanuts and things of that and, and, and things of that nature but also we talked about some inventors that we ain't, never thought about, it was a young lady that grew up in, uh, she was black and she grew up in uh, in Hawaii and she uh, was working on a cure for leprosy, and you know, and we know what leprosy. Leprosy was a dreadful disease, and, and you know, now leprosy not around. But it was a black woman they worked on that. And then we, uh, uh, along with our, our inventors of a black man, uh, I want, and I'm not, I, I'm not telling you that. I want you to go back and I want you to look this here up as a black man that helped pioneer the refrigerated trucks. And I, I was laughing uh, with my wife the other day, you know, because we had. Uh, we had ordered some food, and I, it was fish. It was shrimp, a uh, shrimp or something, and and a uh, lobster or something like that. And uh, it was from the coast. And then I said, "Hey, you know that this food you you eat now tastes just as fresh as just as fresh as it was, just pulled around the ocean just today." And it was a black man that helped uh, pioneer the refrigerated trucks, allowed us to. Have that fresh produce from one side of the country to the other, and that's something that we have to think about. You know, you know, we just think about the here and now, but imagine it's people that set forth some things many, many years ago that allowed us to do what we're doing today. And so, we want to continue to honor our uh, black men and women that uh, that did some things in the past, and also those that are doing some current, currently also. Uh, we're going to continue with our uh, documentary on our black history, but I would like to give you our call in number. That number is 310 982 4126. Again, that number is 310 982 4126. And you are listening to Free on the Inside, an internet program to inform you, to encourage you, and to challenge you to be all you could be in Christ. You see I said that? To inform you about how good God is, inform you that you are valuable that the victory has been won, to encourage you to stay in the battlefield, encourage you to continue to uh, do the right thing, continue to help people, continue to encourage people, and also to inform you that there's a lot more work for us to do. And we're going to go on with our documentary today. This is the end of our uh, Black History uh, program uh, segment. But This time we're going to do our military soldiers, the Black men and women that are in the military called the invisible soldier. You know, we talked about a lot of inventors and doctors and scientists and entrepreneurs, but we never talked about the black soldier. And, you know, I like a good war movement. I have relatives that have been in the service and I honor them, but they never told me much about what they what their ideal was in the service. And a lot of times with black men, they went to the service because that was a sense of leaving home as a way to get some freedom and a way to have an extra income. I mean, they were more than just cooks. And uh, and laborers in the so and, in the military, they had position, they had position of honor, but it just didn't come with like they had to work towards those things there. And so we're going to share with uh, some a documentary regarding our black military soldiers, and uh, we want you to know that you too can be successful in anything that you put to your hands to do. And so we're going to do uh, go on with our uh, documentary. So. God bless you. Enjoy. Talk with you later.
2: 50 years after the war's end, the story of the more than one million African-Americans who fought on those faraway fields remains surrounded by silence, too. Major funding for the Invisible Soldiers' Unheard Voices was provided in part by the Baha'i Faith. The Baha'i Faith, promoting unity and justice in America. Additional funding is provided by the Phelps-Stokes Fund. The Phelps-Stokes Fund, where education for human development is our primary mission and service to humanity, our paramount motive. The Phelps-Stokes Fund, serving people since 1911. Support for this program was also provided by the National Association for Black Veterans, NAPVETS, creating positive lifestyles for veterans and their families. NAPVETS, veterans in unity for the community. No support also by the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame and by Stanley Global Resources. And by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you.
3: The town is entered by Negro units of the 43rd Armored Infantry Battalion.
4: I was a proud man. I was
2: so happy that I was participating in the greatest war in history. But I still couldn't understand this segregation.
0: Oh, people. Oh, heroes. Many of us felt we never would get a chance
5: really fight more than
0: that there love and mercy for the light
1: i couldn't go in which i didn't realize at that time was because of the color of my skin
0: america oh america I
2: go. Reply. The battlefields of World War II are quiet now. Today, more than 50 years after the war's end, the story of the more than one million African Americans who fought on those faraway fields remains surrounded by silence, too.
6: Hollywood is critical, and popular culture must understand our involvement in American society has been very intricate and complex over the years. And unless you get the scholars, um, the journalists, the Hollywood folk, To promote this, not so much promote it, but at least mention it, uh, it goes by like that because who's going to pay a lot of attention to history? If I
7: look at the 20th century and I think of uh, popular culture or scholarly works, and I'm looking for African-American participation in those, I'm either going to get um, a story that goes untold or often is not one that's
4: severely distorted. Nobody wanted to recognize the accomplishment. They were kind of written out of the history books for 50 years. The point of it was that nobody wanted to talk about black heroism on a battlefield or black uh, courage. In the history books and in Hollywood films, the role of African-Americans in World War II has been a little more than a footnote. After World War II, in American popular culture, I would challenge you to find the movie where you found an African-American soldier as hero. All the way from the the, the early John Ford movies of World War II right up to Saving Private Ryan, you won't find African-Americans um, serving in World War II. They were written out, and when you, when you cut out of popular culture the historic role of African-Americans, you're really trying to deny people the truth.
6: Hollywood creates our understanding our notions, our images of what war really is, even though it's a superficial kind of image. So when you see these movies of war and you don't see the presence of African American people and soldiers, it's very easy to conclude they didn't do anything. They weren't there. There is no way possible for you to talk about World War II and not look at the fact that almost a million men served in the U.S. Army. So there's no way possible to overlook that unless you're just ignorant of it, you haven't done your research, or you don't care. It's not a part of the story that you want to
2: tell. The real story of African Americans in World War II took place in Europe, in the Pacific, and in training camps in the United States. They served in the segregated military. They died for a country that denied them the very freedoms they were fighting for their contribution would help defeat the german and japanese war machines and it would ignite the modern civil rights movement it is time to tell the story as it really happened
8: I never felt segregation and discrimination as keenly as I did until I went into the Army of the United States.
6: African Americans began to get their draft notices, and those that were called up, the War Department created a quota system here. They weren't calling that many in. The, end.
4: the United States Armed Forces during World War II was ripe with racism. There's definitely separate and completely unequal forces. It was a segregated army, and it continued to be a segregated army and navy. The Marines didn't even want African Americans in it. You've got to remember that uh, this country was
7: very discriminatory, segregated, and there was no change. Uh, first of all, uh, black sailors, as sailors per se, other than as mess attendants or stewards, weren't permitted into the
9: navy. They thought of the Negro soldier as a thing apart. They did not treat him as an American who was in the army, who would be asked to lay down his life for his country like any other American boy. They were stationed in the worst part, uh, close to the garbage dumps. They were not allowed to use the, the PX that was there for the use of everybody else on the post. They were not allowed to attend the White Theater. And sadly enough, their officers were not allowed to go to the Officers Club. We were set up in a
8: segregated barracks, which became our school and our living quarters. And this was done despite the fact that at Great Lakes, they had the largest officer candidate training school in the country we were not allowed to go to that school fort Devons was probably no better than any other american army base in, in 1941 42 43. Uh, it was segregated the post command of course was white it was a white officers club all of the facilities uh, in the posts were white signs no colors were allowed we had Afro-American Negro or black uh, MPs, they could not arrest white soldiers, even if caught in the act of violation of, of regulations or in violation of law. But white MPs certainly could and did arrest black soldiers.
6: If you're looking at where the sources of contention and racism in, in the U.S. Army, and you can take the whole military establishment, There were three main sources, starting with the Officers' Corps. A lot of those guys were Southerners. And they had no interest (laughs) to see uh, the success of Negro troops.
7: Officers more knowledgeable than myself came around and commiserated with me, and I asked them why. And they said, that's going to be the first Negro tank battalion the American
3: Army's ever had. Do you know anything about Negroes? And I said, no, only when I see them. So, you don't know what you're in for. When we got our filler of officers, many of them kept saying derogatory things about blacks, how they would never make it.
6: And you have enlisted men, uh, in which a good percent of the American Army came from the South. And, and of course, their experiences with African American people was one of
3: union in, in
6: an inferior secondary capacity.
7: I was acquainted with a a black officer that, uh, in fact, we came out of OCS together, and uh, he uh, accosted two white soldiers, which walked past him without saluting, looked him in the eye and didn't salute, and he stopped them and made them salute, and they saluted, and
6: then went and told the sheriff,
7: and the sheriff came and arrested
6: the officer and took him downtown. And the third was uh, civilians white surveillance because the overwhelming majority of camps were located in the south and the huge problem was when those troops went on leave and went into town we were victims of
3: uh, being sent to locations where negroes couldn't do any harm to cities they were stationed near.
2: i heard what uh, happened to uh, black people or colored people, as we were called it, uh, south of the Mason-Dixie line, but I had no personal real experience, and my parents, who were southerners, basically uh, never talked about it.
6: It was this notion that comes out of civil society and how people perceived, believed, and felt what what's the role for African-American people in American society,
4: and it was just transported into the military. That's unbelievable to think that racism in the middle of war would be able to play that kind of of role, but it did, and so you started having to – not only did an African-American soldier have to watch his back for the enemy, he had to watch his back for the ally too, which was Uncle Sam.
6: talk about the famous Lido Road that leads from the coast of India and goes up through China. Supply line over a thousand miles. Sixty-five percent of the men who worked on that road were black engineers. You wouldn't know that. I was not going to say that.
2: The Lido Road. Starting at Lido in northern India, the plan was to drive through jungles, rivers, mountains, and Jap opposition to a juncture with the Burma Road. A supply route would then be forged from Calcutta to Lido by rail. Across the Lido-Burma road to Kunming and thence to Chongqing in China, the Lido road was begun by a handful of men facing a task that had been called impossible. The handful of men is presumably white, as the film does not mention the more than 50,000 African-American engineers and construction crews primarily responsible for the road, as seen in a rarely shown Army film bulletin.
7: Freight trains of the Bengal-Assam Railroad pull into a transfer shed located near the point of origin of the Lido Road. A detachment of Negro engineers began work on the road in December 1942. In this headquarters area, the Negro units handle every phase of the operations incident to moving vital replacements along the Lido route. And when the first convoy from India to China rolled over the completed road,
3: 25 months later, a Negro was driving the lead vehicle.
2: On the other side of the world, African-American troops battled frigid temperatures and blinding snow to build the Alcan highway.
3: For black soldiers, they, some of them had never drove a bulldozer, had never drove a truck or a heavy truck, never drove a road grader, but they learned how to do that and get that kind of work until we wasn't taught to do nothing the kind of way.
9: The terrain was very rough and was unstable it would vibrate which made it rather difficult for the bulldozers the temperatures varied anywhere from 32
4: below zero down to 65 below zero you were a black soldier you had the absolute worst living conditions possible if you were black you would be in a lesser tent or a lesser quarter to live that the white soldiers would be able to stay in a kind of more permanent Sort of barrack or something that would help them to stay warm.
9: On the Alaskan Highway, the black troops were housed in a raminal cloth tents while the white soldiers were in leasing huts and um, housing some of the army bases. What protected the black soldiers of inside the tents? The frost was about an inch thick, which acted as insulation.
6: When D-Day is taking place, and there were up to maybe six combat units of African Americans involved in in that particular engagement. And once the invasion of Europe takes place, that omission in Hollywood is very clear.
2: In the longest day, several black soldiers are visible for a few seconds in the background when the fighting is ended. There are no African Americans in Saving Private Ryan.
6: Quartermaster
7: and other combat service support units were were charged with going in on D Day proper. So, some of the first units to go ashore, some of those arrowhead uh, units, uh, went with the D Day force proper. Uh, Some quartermaster soldiers um, came in with the airborne, the 82nd
2: and 101st. The all African American 320th Barrage Balloon Battalion manned the tethered balloons that were critical in keeping the German Luftwaffe from strafing the invasion force.
3: D-Day was the most emotional and dangerous day of my life. My job was a medic with the 320th Mirage Balloon Battalion. We went all the way around past battle wagons, battleships, everything is firing broadside on the, on the, uh, on the moment. and, uh, that's when our ship, ran over the submerged mine and incapacitated that motor at at LCT you have no you have no uh, method for moving you're going in with the tide that's what took us in the tide you can't visualize how many troops and how many ships and stuff went down on the way in the number of casualties on Omaha Beach was phenomenal we had never seen that many or even thought that there would be that many casualties I helped along with other medics to dress and to uh, uh, do the best we could with the wounded the guy who was with me the, the tank man he was standing beside me he said what is that over there I said it looks like a ship are they dead or they alive they're dead oh my god that's it You could hear the the shell mortar coming. Halfway down, the mortar landed on the other side of that truck, and the uh, shrapnel and stuff from the mortar shell hit me in the left leg as well as the right leg. Being in a segregated army at that time, when we actually uh, combined our resources with the white troops, there was no such thing as segregated. Because the people who are wounded, and if you were a medic, they don't care exactly who, uh, 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 what the color of the person was, or his skin or anything like that. Only thing they wanted was aid.
7: Surgeons, just even in the beginning of the Normandy campaign, found that they were using blood in transfusions about three or four times the rate expected. So the blood transfusion was a, an example of a kind of racial Discrimination that went on at that time because there was a policy not to give black blood to white troops. The Red Cross segregated the blood. The irony of this, of course, it was an African American doctor, Drew, who um, did some of the pioneering work that allowed the preservation of blood so that it could be used for transfusion. One contingent of black nurses that was sent to the ETL were assigned to one of the station hospitals in England. But it was a station hospital that was assigned to caring for German POWs. General Hawley had the black nurses to use, and he really didn't want them to use for white American troops. So he used them for the Germans. The nurses had the feeling they had been singled out for a separate service and had no real possibility of transfer or advancement.
4: And sadly, that was pretty much the case you know the famous sign people would give is the v for victory african americans would do both the v for victory and a v for hopefully smashing jim crow law segregation and the great hope of african americans was getting part taking part in world war ii showing patriotism showing valor showing love of the flag putting their life on the line for the united states of america and the hope was that after this experience that they would be able to come back to a better america
6: in england in particular, in France, one of the things that took place that was very interesting was that American troops would transport their racism to English society and to French society. What the uh, army would do, particularly officers and enlisted men, would do is tell the town peoples, uh, the people who ran the bars and the stores, not to service uh troops and pointed out that they're inferior, they're animals. They resented the fraternization between.
8: The Italian girls and the Afro American soldiers. Fights would ensue. Uh, our soldiers had to travel in groups for protection.
3: A portion of the unit of the uh, 29th Infantry Division, wasn't that many of them, they came under in- the command of white
2: officers for the first time. And that was the worst news,
8: I think we could get uh, probably only exacerbated by the welcoming speech that General Almond gave to the 366 uh, Infantry Regiment when it arrived.
3: He seemed
8: somewhat angry and he said, uh, as best I can recall, uh, your Negro uh, newspapers and your Negro politicians uh have been screaming for you to come over here uh and go into combat. I didn't ask for you to come but I'm gonna see that you get combat and your share of casualties. It was anything but a welcome address or a battle indoctrination dress. There were men who even grumbled and talked about shooting him and that's a cruel thought, but the circumstances were such that it, it, it just points out how far racism can go and how sad racism is. I think it's fair to say we were undertrained for combat soldiers. Colonel Queen asked for 30 days in which to give us intensive training and in preparation for entry into the lines. But I think we got five days. We were primarily at that time sort of holding the line so that the Germans could not take troops from Italy into Germany or France or any other place where they might need them. The
7: German soldiers in Italy were seasoned soldiers. They had come from another front. Namely, I think most of them came from southern France. They knew what they were doing. When you ran up against uh, a, a bunch of them, you, you knew you were in a fight. On the
9: 5th and 6th of April, my unit fought alongside the 442nd battalion, which is the uh, all-Japanese unit. We had just been brought in in early April of '45 to join the 92nd, and it was
8: last push to break the line. Like Danny anyway, for example. I didn't know that Danny was in the 442nd uh, and uh, you know, here we were serving on the same committee as in the Senate, <laughs> we were in war, in fact, they're right next to each other. And let's face it, we were there because of our race.
9: And the same thing with the African Americans uh, if we looked like the general populace, uh, there'd be no fuss, but uh, we look like Mongolians, and the African Americans look like Africans, and um. Uh, To fight under those circumstances, it's not the easiest.
3: The directions that came down from the 92nd Infantry Division and from the higher headquarters were so flawed and so inept that there was no way that success could have been achieved.
8: Our attack, the frontal attacks, when we had frontal attacks against entrenched locations of the enemy, Obviously, they're prepared. They know you're coming. that time, we were up
9: in the mountains, and the 92nd was on the flatlands. It's easier to fight in the mountains than in the flatlands because in the mountains, uh, there are a lot of trees and gullies and valleys, but out there, you're wide open. So the artillery observer from the other side can see every movement.
8: You know, you're being shot like ducks in a pond. Mm-hmm. It is often been said we were used for, as cannon fodder. To see them die unnecessarily, though we, we expected that be would casualties, we knew some had to die, we knew what war was or we heard what war was, but it was so close to us, we were so close to each other, it was tough, it was very, very
9: tough. Well, we're surprised that they kept on fighting, because uh, if we had to fight under the same circumstances, uh, I think some of the
8: enthusiasm or the morale, obviously, would be but The question as to whether they uh, intentionally uh, used us for care and fodder. Certainly, looking on it in retrospect, one could come to that conclusion. I don't I don't want to charge them with it. The results were the same. What made me uh, very close to the men
9: of the 92nd Division came about on April 21st. That's when I was wounded several times. I was first shot through my stomach, but uh, for some reason there are no pain nerves around there, so you're always know, dripping blood, so you keep on going. And about uh, a couple hours later, my arm got blown off. But That wasn't enough. I sort of turned again, kept on going until it hit my leg. Then I couldn't move, so then I got evacuated. Obviously, I lost a lot of blood. There was a practice in that sector. I don't know if it was worldwide, but at that sector, whenever they gave you a transfusion, Show you the bottle, and the bottle will have the name, rank, serial number, and the unit. I was able to read about ten of them. I was told I was given seventeen transfusions, so uh, about seven or eight of them while I was unconscious. But uh, of the ten, all ten were from the 92nd. So in my veins are black blood. <laughs> And I've said this many times uh, if it weren't for the men of the 92nd Division, I'd be dead. It's their blood that kept me going. And here I am, a senator. It was a 105 housing 7 Marines on the radio. Huh? But Don't come in on a red beaches or cheap
2: too come in on green.
9: The water was real rough because you know you you got to have training to know how to drive that duck on when the water is rough and your ramp is coming up and down. Well, I tell you, I was scared going in, I was scared coming back. All that bar over the top, and you don't know
2: what's going to hit you. On shore, black Marines faced the same nightmare of enemy fire that pounded white Marine combat troops. I hit Iwo Jima
3: with the 34th Marine Depot Company about D plus three. Now, this was the night of D plus three.
1: We're going to go ahead and end that documentary about our black soldiers in World War. Too. We pray that you enjoyed that. You got some information regarding that. How the black men and women was in the trenches. They were fight. A lot of military movies don't show the uh, heroic heroic actions of our black soldier men and women. But yet they was there. And I got to think about just history being made right today in Capitol up on Capitol Hill, Washington D.C. You know that was a ride a couple of, of, of weeks ago, and that was a black man and a black and, and black officers in Capitol Hill that fought. That fought to save the Union, that fought to save life, that fought because they, that's what their duty was to stand guard. That black, and right today, we have been called to stand guard over humanity, stand guard over our young people, stand guard over a nation. Don't ever give up, never give out. Well, you can't be victorious in Christ Jesus. We're going to go ahead, we're going to have something else. As we celebrate Martin Luther King, Uh. Man, here we're gonna go ahead and and do a, another. A, we're gonna do a speech by Martin Luther King, about what is your what is your life blueprint? And we're gonna go ahead and do that right now. And we pray that you'll be blessed by by this segment. Uh, we're celebrating MLK Day. So, Tyler, this is what is your life blueprint?
10: Here lived a great street sweeper who shrugged his job well.
5: If you can't be a climb on the top of a hill, be a
10: scrub in the
5: valley. But be the best little scrub on the side of the hill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway. Just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. Or is it by size that you win or you fail? Be the best of whatever you are.
10: We always, we, we already have some noble examples black men and black women. Oh, no. Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Place sings before the Met- Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare on poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the halls of and earth well, as the Pauls and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his darn well. If you can't high on the top of the hill, be a scrub and develop.
5: But be the best little scrub on the side of the reels.
10: nature cannot be cataloged, they and their own lives have walked through long and desolate nights of oppression, and yet they've risen up in suns against cloud-filled nights of affliction, new and blazing stars of inspiration. And so from an old slave cabin of Virginia's hill, Booker T. Washington rose up. Be one of America's great leaders, he lit a torch in Alabama, and darkness fled in that setting. Yes, you should know this because it's in your own city. From a poverty stricken area of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Marin Anderson rose up to be the world's greatest contralto. So that a Toscanini could say that a voice like this comes only once in a century. And Sibelius of Finland could say, my roof is too low for such a voice. From the red hills of Gordon County, Georgia. And the arms of a mother who can neither read nor write. Roland Hayes rose up to be one of the world's great singers and carried his melodious voice into the palaces and mansions of kings and queens from crippling circumstances. There came a George Washington Carver to carve for himself an imperishable niche in the annals of science. There was a star in the diplomatic sky, and then came Ralph Bunce, the grandson of a slave preacher. He reached up and grabbed it and allowed it to shine in his light with all of its scintillating beauty. There was a star in the athletic sky, then came Jackie Robinson in his day and Willie Mays in his day with their powerful bats and their calm spirits. Then came Jesse Owens with his feet and dashing feet. Then came Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali with their educated fists. All of them came to tell us that we can be somebody and to justify the conviction of the poet, fleece and locks and black complexion, cannot forfeit nature's claim. Skin may differ, but affection dwells in black
9: and white the same. If I were
10: so tall as to reach the pole, or to grasp the ocean at a span, I must be measured by my soul. The mind is the standard of the man. Finally... Finally, in your life's blueprint, must be a commitment to the eternal principles of beauty, love, and justice. Don't allow anybody to pull you so low as to make you hate them. Don't allow anybody to cause you to lose your self-respect to the point that you do not struggle for justice. However young you are, you have a responsibility to seek to make your nation a better nation in which to live. You have a responsibility to seek to make life better for everybody. And so you must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. Now in this struggle for freedom and justice, there are many constructive things that we all can do and that we all must do. And we must not give ourselves to those things which will not Solve our problems. You've heard the word nonviolent and you've heard the word violent. I happen to believe in nonviolence. We struggle with this method with young people and adults alike all over the South. And we have won some significant victories and we've got to struggle with it all over the North because the problems are as serious in the North as they are in the South. But I believe as we struggle with these problems, we've got to struggle with them with a method that can be militant, but at the same time does not destroy life or property. And so our slogan must not be burn, baby, burn. It must be build, baby, build. Yes, our slogan must be, learn, baby, learn, so that we can earn, baby, earn.
5: And with a powerful
10: commitment, I believe that we can transform dark yesterdays of injustice into bright tomorrows of justice and humanity. Let us keep going toward the goal of selfhood, toward the realization of the dream of brotherhood, and toward the realization of the dream of understanding goodwill. Let nobody stop us. I close by quoting once more the man that the young lady quoted. That magnificent black ball who is now passed on likes to use... One day he wrote a poem entitled Mother to Son. The mother didn't always have her grammar right, but she heard words of great, symbolic wonder. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal scar. It's had tax in it. Born strong places with no carpet on the floor, Bam. but all the time, I'm gonna climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark, but it ain't been no night. So, boy, don't you stop now. Don't you sit down on the steps, or you find this kind of hard. But I'm still going, boy. I'm still going. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Well, life for none of us. Has been a crystal staff, but we must keep moving. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, keep moving.
1: time that I had this one. I think you had a good time, too. We're celebrating Black History Month. We come to the end, though, for the the days that have been set aside. But you know what? Every day is Black history in your life, in my life, in the life of God's people. You know, go out. Go go out and make history. Go out and do something to change the world, change the the life of someone. You know, I said from time to time, help change the life. You know, I have a Black inventor and entrepreneurs and educators and entertainers that help change the life. And we're going to close out on that note there. We're going to uh, play this song one more time. It said Lift Every Voice, a song by the late Ray Charles. And so we want you to realize that you are somebody, that you can be successful. I want you to know that today is your day, that you too can be successful in whatever you do.
5: It's call it, say, a go?
1: successful. And guess what? Because God loves each and every one of us. And I want you to be safe until we meet again. Follow the mandated uh, uh, health advisory that's that's been given out in your local community around
2: the nation.
1: Be mindful of other people. I tell you what, bless someone and just see what God is doing in your life. And, And I want you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his life until we meet again. On this program. Remember that this is free on the inside ministry, and who the Son says free, Jesus Christ, is free indeed. in Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace your grace. We thank you for another day, dear Lord, as we reflect on how good you've been uh, at the Nation that set Aside Black History. But let us be mindful, dear Lord, that every day is history and life on your people, dear Lord, that we too can make a difference in the life of our young being. We too can encourage them to get an education, encourage them to get a job, encourage them to be a good citizen, to be a, a, a faithful a, a husband and a, a loving mother, dear Lord, and a, and a caring wife. We can make a difference in the lives of your people. Dear Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our life. You know how we, dear Lord, was on the path to destruction and someone spoke with our life. I ain't talking about this but all of us, dear Lord. Now, we didn't get you your bias. biofib. That be mindful that the journey that we all started with someone else. The Lord, and they passed apart, Lord, and then they told us to go and send no more and help someone else along the way. Remember, Jesus told Peter, Peter, will you get out of this, mess? Lord, you'll strengthen your brother. Dear Lord, that's what you'll call us to do. We're to strengthen a nation. The Lord, give us the wit, the courage, and the ability to strengthen a community, to strengthen a country, and to strengthen our families. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.